अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अवांगमनसगोचरम आत्मानम अखिलाधारम I take refuge in the self, the indivisible, the existence, consciousness, bliss, absolute, beyond the reach of words and thought, and the substratum of all, for the attainment of my cherished desire. So we are studying the means for enlightenment in uh, Advaita Vedanta. And the means are Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. Literally, if you translate them, uh, they mean, Shravana means hearing, Manana means reflection or reasoning, and Nididhyasana means uh, meditation. Um, more specifically, Shravana means systematically studying Vedanta which means primarily the Vedanta texts, Upanishads, which we will take up soon, but also all the other texts based on the Upanishads, uh, the Brahma Sutras, the Bhagavad Gita, and indeed all of these texts, including the Vedanta Sara. And they say, it's not that you have to study all of them and put them together, then only you know what Vedanta says. No, each of these texts independently points to the truth. Um, the core texts, of course, the root texts are the Upanishads, so what you learned in Vedanta Sara is exactly what we will learn when we study the Upanishads. Just the approach is different, um, language is different, and a variety of approaches, a variety of ways of trying to point out the same truth. Now, when I say systematically studying Vedanta and a competent student from a competent teacher, but what is the system? The system is what we were looking at last time. The six-fold method of interpreting a text uh, upakrama upasanghara, the beginning and end of the text. Then uh, abhyasa, repetition. Then apurvata, the uniqueness, the unique message of that particular text. Then uh, arthavada, what is praised, what is uh, the eulogies there. Uh, then there is the phalam, um, the result. What are you going to gain out of all of this? What's the purpose or the point of this entire, entire exercise? That, if you look at that, that also tells you the meaning of the text and points to the meaning of the text. And finally, number six would be upapatti, the various kinds of reasonings given within the text itself, uh, which try to, the arguments which are embedded in the Vedantic teachings, which are trying to show something to us. If you put them all together, you get the meaning of the text, not any, not just Advaita Vedanta text, any text actually. So this is basically a machine for extracting uh, the meaning from a text. This, the sixfold is called Shadvidalinga, the sixfold, six signs literally. These six signs, signs of what? The sign, S-I-G-N, sign. The signs of the meaning. They are indicating uh, the underlying meaning or the inner meaning of the text. Basically an exercise in what might be called today hermeneutics, uh, in investigating a text and finding out the meaning of the text in textual interpretation. So that's the, uh, that's the meaning of Shravana. How many times do you need to do that? As many times as required until you become enlightened. It's not a ritualistic duty. Uh, you know, there's a commandment in the in the ritualistic portion of the Vedas that 
um, if you desire to go to heaven, then perform these rituals, these uh, uh, Vedic sacrifices. If you ask how many times, you will keep performing them um, as long as you live, because going to heaven is not going to happen in, the mid in our lifetime. It's only after death. So it's, it's a promissory note that it, you're going to encash it only after death, post-mortem heaven. But this is not like that. This uh, is enlightenment in this life itself. We must come to that. As long as that does not happen, you go through these cycles of Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. Um, you study the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita, the Brahma Sutra and other texts like this. And then repeat. Not enlightened yet. Repeat yet again and <laughs> go on. So that is Shravana. Then Manana. What is the purpose of Mananam of reasoning? The purpose is, Shravana has given me an idea of what the teaching is. Now I know. And what is the teaching? After all these exercises, what, what is the conclusion of these texts? Uh, you are Brahman. That uh, My reality is that I am the Absolute. Um, which is cool, but we need to understand this. In what sense I am the Absolute? What is the Absolute? How am I the Absolute? All of these things uh, are taught in the first stage of Shravana. I... I understand that this is the teaching. But I have many questions uh, about these teachings. So these questions, which are all together, put together, they are called asambhavana, impossibility problem. It's an obstacle. Impossibility. It's impossible that I am in infinite consciousness. What is infinite consciousness and how am I infinite consciousness? It is impossible that I am not the body. It is impossible that I survive after death. How? So when you, these questions have to be clarified. These impossibility questions, all, all, all doubts, basically all doubts are clarified. And this goes on along with the Shravana. You know the teaching. First of all, you listen carefully to the teachings. And you ask questions. You don't, uh, it just doesn't have literally have to be in the chat or in the, to the teacher. It could be to yourself. It could be to the book. The book itself raises so many questions. Many, many questions which we would never have thought about. But the book raises so the various positions. I remember um, this very intelligent young brahmachari many years ago, 20, 25 years ago, sitting in the library at Belurmat. This, this, I was uh, also, uh, in, I was a brahmachari also. And this other brahmachari was just a couple of years junior to me. But he made such an intelligent remark, you know. He said, look, we are now studying the ancient schools of Nyaya and Vaisheshika and uh, Sankhya and Yoga and the Purva Mimamsa and our own school of Vedanta um, and also the uh, non-Vedic schools like Buddhism and Jainism and the materialism, Charvaka. These are all very ancient positions. These are very ancient positions. What's the point of studying them now, today? The point, he said, very good remark. He said, see, we have a materialist, a charvaka within ourselves. We have a sankhyan within ourselves. We have a logician, nayaika within ourselves. Some of these positions, when you think deeply about Vedantic teachings, these are bound to come up. If not all, many of them. So they are relevant. So the whole discussion goes on. Questions are raised and answered till we gain clarity. Till we gain clarity. It, this, this stage is not meant for argumentation. It's meant for clarity. Till we get the point of, uh, we get the point of the teachings. Till we come to the position of saying, "Aha, I get it. 
oh, that's what it meant. So I'm clear about it now. Uh, what is Brahman? How am I Brahman? How am I not the body and the mind? Uh, how am, what is liberation? How am I ever free? Uh, what is ignorance? So all of these things become very clear to me. Uh, you can say, oh, I'm sold. I got it. Then what remains? What remains is called Viparita Bhavana. That um, I still feel that it is not a living reality for me. I know the teaching. I have understood it very well. It's still not a living reality. And what do you mean by living reality? Well, look at the result. I was promised that I will overcome all sufferings. Uh, I look at the lives of the great Jivan Muktas. Something like that. I don't, I'm not claiming that I have to be like Ramana Maharshi or Vivekananda. But something like that. Some of that at least I should be able to enjoy. Wasn't it promised that you will overcome suffering? Wasn't it promised you will attain limitless bliss? I'm not getting limitless bliss or overcoming suffering. I'm still reacting to the world like a jiva, like a like an, uh, consciousness uh, embodied, uh, limited by body-mind, uh, and an individual, limited individual. I'm still, if it hurts, I say, ouch. If, it, um, if uh, there is a financial uh, crisis, I get tense. Uh, relationships bother me. All of these problems are coming in my life. So how is it that, how am I enlightened? So to overcome these problems, these problems are called Viparita Bhavana. Where are these problems? Not in the teaching, not in Brahman, not in your real nature. These are because of the preconditioning of the mind of this life and many lives past. We are used to being a body-mind and behaving like a body-mind, talking like body-mind, thinking like body-mind and behaving and especially reacting to the world as a body-mind. This has to be overcome. You must now react from, from what? From what you have already understood and accepted as the truth. You look at the contradiction at this stage. I understand that I, I am Brahman. I, I have, this is the teaching and I accept it. I have no more doubts about it. I'm clear about it. And yet I struggle in day-to-day -day life still. It is still you're pretty advanced already because you have done um, some uh, spiritual practice, but still these problems remain. How do I manifest this knowledge? So manifestation of the divinity within, that's the language of Swami Vivekananda. That, you see the wonderful definition of religion. It does not say just reading about or getting the knowledge of the divinity within or understanding the divinity within. He says manifestation. The manifestation means already understanding must be there. And then the manifestation must come. For that, the recommendation is you have to stay with what you have understood, what you are very clear about. You have not the slightest doubt about. For a long time, stay with it. Wash off, um, deprogram your earlier programming. Wash off the uh, earlier layers of dirt accumulated over uh, a lifetime or maybe many lifetimes with the light of this new knowledge. And then you attain. Viparita um, Bhavana is cleared off. And you are, um, you may call it fully enlightened or a technical term would be Jivan Mukti, liberated while living. So that is Nididhyasana, Vedantic meditation. Let's see now. We had done up to text number 190, completing the six signs for textual interpretation. Now, Mananam and Nididhyasanam. Definition of Mananam. What is Mananam? I'm on text number 191. Mananam tu 
श्रुतस्य अद्वितीय वस्तुनो वेदांत अनुगुण युक्ति रिफ्लेक्शन इज द कॉन्स्टेंट थिंकिंग ऑफ ब्राह्मण वन विदाउट अ सेकेंड ऑलरेडी हर्ड अबाउट फ्रॉम द टीचर बाय आर्ग्यूमेंट्स एग्रीएबल टू द पर्पज ऑफ द वेदांत मननम तो वॉट इज मननम मननम इज श्रुतमीता you have to um, reason it out your intellect also must assent to it that yes this is not only possible it is so it must be so i see it now how do you do that um, so shrutasya dvitiya vastuna what has been heard an undivided reality an unlimited reality advitiya non dual vastu reality the non dual reality has been taught in the first stage shravana in the second stage arguments vedanta anuguna yukti bhihi yukti bhi yukti means reasoning so by reasoning one must come to see this what kind of reasoning vedanta anuguna the reasoning which supports the conclusions of the vedanta which are agreeable or in accordance with the conclusions of the vedanta anuchintanam chintanam think anuchintanam thinking after after what thinking after the teaching after what after shravana it's not that you start off by reasoning and argumentation many people do that uh, i have got some bright idea and i want i'm arguing for it not no, no value at all your bright idea has no value at all first of all sit down and listen and then and it's not just vedanta every um, anything that you want to learn in depth anything serious any kind of classical knowledge not just vedanta not just even philosophy you want to learn um, literature and grammar and art and classical music you cannot start off with your own ingenuity to begin with it has no value first comes rigorous training in every tradition in um, not only in india but in the west everywhere um here for example is the juilliard school in manhattan it's the, one of the world's leading maybe the leading school of uh, music especially classical music but also various forms of um, western music here i'm quite sure i don't know of course but i'm quite sure if some bright young person goes there and starts demonstrating his or her uh, you know originality there they're not interested first you have come here to learn you put in your hours and you learn what is to be taught and then of course you must be uh, originally must develop your own talent um i'm reminded of when i went to learn navya nyaya the uh, you know nyaya is one of the schools of uh, orthodox hindu philosophy so navya nyaya is a further development of nyaya which took place about 1000 years ago um, in a state what is today's bihar uh, mithila so there gangesha a great nyayika master of nyaya he wrote a book called tatva chintamani the quest the the um, crest jewel of um, 
of, of reality, of, of the principles of reality, tattwa. Anyway, and that was further developed in Bengal, in Navadvip, where, for example, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself was a great scholar of Nabhyanaya. A very sophisticated system of logic. Swami Vivekananda says that uh, uh, the most intricate and this bewildering system, most sophisticated system of logic ever devised. It came up in, uh, in Navadvip, in Nadia. Even now, Bengal has a very strong tradition. You know, Vedanta was not always very strong in, Ved in Bengal. It was actually mostly Nyaya and uh, Tantra in, in Bengal. Uh, of course, Vedanta also has a very long history in Bengal with uh, Madhusudan, Saraswati and others, but mostly it was uh, Tantra, Nyaya. Now, my point is, I got an opportunity to study Navya Nyaya at the Asiatic Society uh, in Calcutta. A very renowned scholar was coming there to teach. So I went to attend the classes. In the very first class itself, um, when the scholar started saying, the traditional Pandit, Pandit uh, B.N. Jha, uh, professor. So when he started speaking, so a lady at the back, one of the participants in the workshop, she stood up with a question and uh, a complicated question. The um, Pandit heard her out and then he said, it's not Bengali, but he knew Bengali. So he said in Bengali, but I'll tell you in English first. He said, um, um, is your subject philosophy? She said, no. Is your subject Sanskrit? She said, no. Then I suggest you sit and listen. Listen and slowly a samskara will develop in your mind. You know, a kind of conditioning will develop. Then you can ask questions. And the lady sat down and I don't think she asked questions for many, many classes at the beginning until she got courage to ask questions again. But that's a good point. In Bengali, he said, Ma, tumar, uh, um, tumar bishoy ki darshan? She says, no. Is your subject philosophy? No. Tumar bishoy ki shanskrito? She said, no. Tali shono, shune jao, shanskar ho, tarpare jigesh korbe, come on. <laughs> so very sweetly he said keep listening and uh, after some time you'll ask questions get used to the whole thing which is a very very reasonable thing actually so um, after Shravana Anuchintanam you think about it all over again it's very important otherwise if you don't think about it all over again you just oh I don't need to think about it the Upanishads have said it and the great masters have taught it I believe you, you are great. Then you are not a Vedanta student. This is the second step, you have to think. Um, I don't need to think, I, I trust you implicitly. It won't work, it just won't work because you have to come to see it for yourself. Otherwise it won't work. It's not based on faith. It will not work if you accept it on faith. So Anuchintanam, think about it. Now, crucial point, Vedanta Anuguna Tarka. Vedanta, uh, arguments supporting the purport of Vedanta, the, the teachings of Vedanta. Immediately one might think, um, why not just any argument? Why, why just arguments supporting it? Why not criticize it? Why not cut it down? So there's a chance of misunderstanding. What is the chance of misunderstanding is, there is an entire branch of, um, I would say, uh, scholastic studies. It's called theology, um, which is, 
you take a faith-based religion like Christianity, for example, or um, you know the karma kanda of the Vedas, something which is promised, which you don't see for yourself right now, something you have to take on faith. Now, in order to take something on faith, um, you have to be convinced there are good reasons for believing in this. So providing these good reasons. So theology is providing arguments in support of, for example, God, the existence of God, the existence of heaven, uh, so uh, existence of uh, hell and sin, to, to provide arguments for that. Now notice, what is the problem with this? The problem with this is you have already accepted the conclusions of the Bible or the Vedas or something, and now you are arguing to support it. Ultimately, no problem with that, but that immediately in today's world, you'll say that is not reasoning. That you have already come to a conclusion. You have already accepted that the teachings of my holy book are true. Now I'm coming up with lots of arguments to support that. See, the thing about the very nature of argument in the Brahma Sutras, it is pointed out, the nature of argument is that it serves the intellect which deploys it. You can come to any conclusion by a silly chain of arguments and established it, establish it, and somebody else can cut it down. There is no finality in argumentation. So I can take something on belief. My holy book says this, and here are my reasons. The, the basis is actually faith. You have started with belief, and now you're providing um, certain reasons for that. So that's the distinction between, for example, in, in modern philosophy, they'll show you the distinction between philosophy and theology. Philosophy, you are, op you are free to criticize. In fact, you must criticize anything and everything. But in theology, you cannot do that. In theology, you are, you are supposed to um, come to a conclusion already pre-established. You you're supporting something. Now, why am I saying this? Immediately, the problem will be that uh, then uh, this is this Vedantic Mananam is theology. You are accepting that you are Brahman and now coming up with arguments in support of, of that position. No, this is a subtle difference which one must understand. It is not theology. It's not that you have accepted it already. See, what is the whole thing about Shravana Manan and Nidhityasana? The Upanishads, they contain the expressions of the realizations of the rishis. And the rishis want you not to believe in that. They want you to come to see that it is so. In order to make you see that it is so, they give you the teaching, the realization they have had, and then help you with the argumentations to come to see that, oh, so this is Brahman, and this is the way that I am Brahman, and it's a fact that I'm already Brahman, and therefore, in that, from that perspective, I'm already free of suffering. This is moksha. Now, this has to be seen for oneself, not believed. So what's the difference between theology? At the end of theology, you will say, I have good grounds for believing in heaven, hell, God. Are you experiencing heaven, hell, God? Say, oh, God, no. <laughs> I'm not. Not yet. But I'm just... I think it's a good thing to believe in. These are the reasons why I believe in it. Theology has given me the reasons. It's a defense of my faith. But uh, the Vedanta, Mananam is not a defense of your faith. Mananam is coming to see for, for yourself, to understand. You are already Brahman. And that is actually self-evident. It's our ignorance that we don't see it, we don't recognize it. So what these arguments do 
is that they remove the ignorance. They remove the not seeing. They don't even reveal Brahman. Uh, you see, some, someone might point ask that, didn't you just chant beyond words, beyond thoughts? So uh, words, arguments are just words. How can words reveal Brahman or establish Brahman? Arguments don't need to do that. They just need to remove our ignorance that we are not Brahman. The misconception and the error that we are not Brahman, that is removed by these arguments. When we begin to see for ourselves. At the end of theological arguments, your faith is stronger or weaker. If the arguments are not satisfying, then it's weaker. A very famous philosopher, um, um, I forget his name, modern philosopher. He's written a history of Western philosophy also recently. He uh, wanted to become a priest. And then he writes, how did he come to philosophy? He says, when I studied theology, arguments for the existence of God, I lost faith. I said, if these are the arguments, then I can't believe. So that, But then I thought philosophy is great then. So I came to philosophy. Uh, Vedantic arguments are not like that. They are not meant to strengthen your faith in uh, Brahman, I am Brahman, Rupanishad. No, no, not at all. They are meant to help you to uh, remove doubts about the fact or to, to clarify an already existing fact, which is actually evident. To make something which does not seem evident to us at all, to make it evident to us, that's why these arguments are given. Um, and these arguments, what are these arguments? You find them all over Vedanta texts. Every, almost every Vedanta text will have various kinds of arguments on various questions. So that is Mananam. And the end of Mananam is, I not only know the teaching, I also uh, am convinced about it now. I'm clear about it now. Vedanta Anuguna Yukti Bhi. Anavarata. Repeated. Continuous. It will not work one, once I go around the whole books, all of these books, I'm done, I'm done with it. No, because it's so startling, so subtle. We need to stay with it for a long period of time till it becomes very clear to us. So Anavarata. Then what is meditation? 192, Nididhyasana, Vedantic meditation. Vijatiya Dehadi Pratyaya Rahita Advitiya vastu sajatiya pratyaya prabaho nididhyasanam. Meditation, that is Vedantic meditation, is a stream of ideas of the same kind as those of Brahman, one without a second, to the exclusion of such foreign ideas as those of the body, etc. What is nididhyasana? What you have studied in Shravana, what you have understood, you are convinced about in Mananam, you stay with it. To put it very simply, you stay with it. Why do you need to stay with it? Because we are complaining that it's not yet a living reality for me. I can't put it into practice in my day-to-day -day life. Stay with it till it becomes as evident as today. It's so evident that I'm the body. So I react to everything that happens as if I am the body. It should become as clear as that, that I am this one shining consciousness in which body, mind, world are you know, being revealed, they play around and they disappear. Brahman alone is the reality. The world is an appearance in Brahman, of Brahman. And I am that Brahman. This becomes absolutely clear to me, not just in understanding. It's a fact. That's why 
in some ways I um, at the risk of oversimplification, I characterize the three stages. Shravana, Manan, and Nidhyasana with three questions. Shravana, what does it? What is the question? What did he say, or what did the book say? If I can answer this, Shravana is complete. Second, Mananam, do I get it? What did he say and what did the book say and do I get it? Two different questions. So do I get it? I understand what the teaching is. I understand the objections. I understand the answers. It's clear to me. So do I get it? If I say yes, then Mananam is complete. Third, Nididhyasanam. Is it a fact right now? Not just a fact. See, even after manan, Stravana and Mananam, you can say it's a fact because it's quite obvious to me. But it's a fact in the sense of I am the body seems to be a fact to me in a, my stage of ignorance. Can I live it? Yeah, that's a good question. Can I live it? Can I manifest my knowledge? There's two models of enlightenment. I've spoken about it in a Buddhist context. Two models of enlightenment. One is called the paradigm shift model. Another one is called uh, the uh, Corbin's. I'm giving it to the name. Uh, it, it's called the uh, ethical manifestation model. So when we say enlightened person, one meaning is I am Brahman. I know that. I, it's a fact. I've realized it. So I am enlightened. That's one meaning of enlightened. But another meaning, equally important meaning of enlightened is, so if you're enlightened, uh, do you have the qualities of a Buddha, of a Ramana Maharshi, of a Vivekananda? Do you have the fearlessness in the face of the physical death? Do you have the ability uh, to withstand and transcend suffering? Do you have the unselfishness to embrace all of humanity, um, so-called friends and foes alike? Do you have this, uh, uh, this unconditional love for all? Unselfishness, selflessness, unconditional love for all. And this transcendence of bodily weaknesses, all of these, what we might call um, ethical, the, the fundamentals of ethics, are uh, am I able to manifest it in my day-to-day -day life? Or am I grumbling, complaining? Um, so if I'm able to manifest it in day-to-day -day life, that is the ethical manifestation model of, a, of enlightenment. Basically, have you become a saint? And these two are both necessary for enlightenment. Because without that, that um, paradigm shift, uh, that is an epistemological person, you know, like I have earlier, I thought I was this body, mind and limited person. Here is the world separate from me. Now I realize it's one undivided existence consciousness place. And I am that this without this paradigm shift, simply if one has wonderful virtues, you might simply be just a very good person. This is good, but not necessarily an enlightened person. Your mind, the subtle body, may have gathered many virtues over um, years or lifetimes of being a good person, which is great, but it's still not enlightenment. The opposite, uh, where you have realized this, but you are unable to express this realization in in saintly virtues, in, in, uh, in a high degree of ethical life, then it's more likely to be a breakthrough. It could be a very genuine breakthrough, but the hard work of Nididhyasanam, uh, of, of absorbing the knowledge to the level that you can live it, that has not been done yet. You cannot be called a Jivan Mukta.
Jeevan Mukta is person who has accomplished all levels, um, is, is, can fully manifest his or her realization or enlightenment. So this paradigm shift as well as the ethical manifestation. That's why I think Swami Vivekananda's definition of religion is so good. The manifestation of the divinity within us, not just the knowledge of the divinity within us. It happens. I knew this great Vedantic scholar and great, very good sadhu uh, who is to teach. He taught many years ago at the training center, the novice monks. By the time I came, it was unfortunate for me, the, he was already too old and uh, uh, I mean, he had sort of retired from active teaching. Um, but wonderful. I used to go to him sometimes with questions. And, now he had a hot temper. Uh, so, in the funniest, it, it would be funny, you know, like. Uh, um, I remember this instance where uh, it happened in front of me, where there was uh, like a, you know what a mitsef is? We used to have them in India earlier, small cupboards where you keep uh, food items, you know. So there was an apple or something there. And there was a, uh, uh, like a volunteer in charge of the uh, pantry for senior monks to come and have a snack or something. And the volunteer was grumbling that, uh, uh, where is the apple? Somebody has taken the apple. And nobody told me that they took the apple. They should tell us uh, before you take the apple. And the Swami had actually eaten the apple. So he felt very guilty and he was very angry. And he was saying, and he had a high-pitched voice. And he was saying, are you accusing me of being a thief? I am a great monk. I am a master of Vedanta. And I've been a monk all these years, so never have I told an untruth. How dare you accuse me of being a thief? And it was delightful to see that the young boy and this old Swami go on back and forth. The boy was never directly addressing the Swami, just letting him hear his monologue. Did I ever say that you have eaten the, <laughs> the apple, apple? Now he would lose his temper. So somebody asked him, if you're so convinced about the one undivided reality, you are Brahman and everybody is Brahman, you are one with the universe. Why do you get angry? And his answer came, Pat came the answer. He said, oh, that's at the level of the mind. I know that I am existence, consciousness, bliss, and this is the only reality. The world is an appearance. And at the level of the mind is anger. And there is a, a certain truth to this kind of a claim. But unfortunately, it's not a very inspiring uh, thing to see. One sadhu in Uttarakhand say, said, Uttarota wa gyani kisko pasand hai? Who, love, who likes or is inspired by a grumbling, complaining, um, uh, enlightened person? It, it's no good to that enlightened person or to anybody else. So that uh, the work of enlightenment must be completed. Otherwise, there are danger of slips and falls and scandals. Things like these things have, uh, happen and you read about them. So the work of, and this was understood in ancient India. The, the moment you have a breakthrough, Unfortunately, these, these things are a little bit lost in today's world. Uh, the moment you have a breakthrough, don't go on a lecture tour. In ancient India, they would say, redouble your practices. Stay with it. I remember uh, Swami Ramananda Saraswati. Um, he, he was talking about this topic when um, uh, one of the devotees, a householder devotee, whom he knew came and said that his operation for replacement of a kidney had been completed. And then the, the Swami asked him, 
how are you now? And the gentleman said, I have a lot of restrictions, um, diet and uh, all these things, restrictions are there. The Swami did not know much about modern medical technology. So he was curious. So, but the new organ has been implanted in you, right? Yes. Then why do you have to follow all these rules now? You should be all right. And that man said, well, the doctor told me if I don't follow these rules, if I don't follow these restrictions, the new organ uh, will not be accepted in the body as a part of the body. The body's immune system will not accept it as part of the body. It will not function as a kidney. It will not do its work. I will not get the benefit from it. And third, ultimately, it may be rejected. The body and the organ may die. So I have to be very careful uh, until everything is fine. And the Swami was so delighted. He looked at the other monks assembled and he said, uh, Mahatmaji, oh monks, listen, listen, this is it. This is what you must do after studying Vedanta. Stay with it intensely. If you do not stay with it intensely, do not concentrate upon it and try to live it, both things, you meditate upon it and live the life. If you do not do that, these three things will happen. The knowledge that you have acquired, that is an insight, actual insight which you have acquired, uh, that will, be, will not be accepted by the rest of your um, you know, mental makeup. What is the rest of your mental makeup? I am a body, uh, I am a monk, uh, people should bow down to me, the ego and the, uh, you know, all sorts of problems which were already there. This new knowledge will not go with it. It will not be accepted. Second, you will not get the benefit of this new knowledge. What is the benefit of this new knowledge? Joy, peace of mind, strength to overcome problems in the world, selflessness, love for others. Those benefits will not flow. The benefits of enlightenment will not flow. And third, it may be lost. It, uh, actual breakthrough will never be lost according to Vedanta conclusions. But anyway, it may be lost or at least for all, for all practical purposes overcome by um, not doing sufficient sadhana, spiritual practice, after the insight, after intensive Vedantic studies and completing a Vedantic understanding also, after that you have to stay with it. So this staying with, he insisted. And so this is uh, in Vidyaranya's book, the, um, this uh, Jivan Mukti Viveka, the whole discussion about this. After you get an insight, tattva jnana, literally it means knowledge of the reality. After you get that, how do you get it? By shavana and manana, you get it. But then he says, two more things are necessary. Manonasha, vasanakshaya. Manonasha, vasanakshaya. Manonasha is complete control of the mind. Literally means destruction of the mind. There's the misleading meaning. Complete control of the mind to the level of samadhi. Control of the mind to the level of samadhi. You can be completely absorbed in the reality which you have discovered to the exclusion of the world, which we will talk about now. And the other one is Vasanakshaya. All the so-called desires of the world, the temptations, they have no more hold upon you. You have completely overcome that. So these two must be achieved. For what? Tattva Bodha, the knowledge of uh, reality, uh, then which is enlightenment. Vasanakshaya, elimination of desires. And Manonasha which is uh, absorption of the mind in samadhi, literally destruction of mind, but absorption of the mind in samadhi. These three must go together. Then what happens? That is called Jivan Mukti. 
That is the goal of Advaita Vedanta. So Advaita Vedanta is not just understanding Vedanta. It's also not just Samadhi or not just giving up desires of the world and leading a very austere life. All three come together. Now, Nididhyasana. What do you do there? What is Vedantic meditation? What is the nature of Vedantic meditation? You make a conscious effort to stay with your understanding, your insight. Advitiya vastu sajatiya pratyaya pravaha. Set in motion a sequence of thoughts. Sequence of thought means make your mind dwell on this non-dual reality which you have read about, which you have understood and which you are absolutely clear about. Stay with it. And exclude. Vijatya dehadi pratyaya. The vijatya means that means the other kind, every other kind of um, thought, body-related thought, world-related thought, my other past memories-related thought, just ruthlessly exclude it. They are false. Why dwell in dreams all your life? If you are very clear, what I have studied and understood is the reality. Stay with reality. Hour to hour, day after day, stay with that as much as possible. This is called nididhyasana. Is it necessary for um, Jivan Mukti, for, uh, for complete enlightenment? Let's put it this way. But there are many uh, discussions about it. There are many issues related to it. Many subtleties involved in this. Um, let me point out the main, main uh, issue under discussion. Before I jump into it, this discussion which I'm going to do, a little bit... Uh, Remember, whichever side you come down on, Nididhyasana Vedantic meditation is a must. You must do it. Which are the two sides? What is the issue? What is the question? Does enlightenment come from Vedantic meditation or from Shravana and Manana? Knowledge, Jnana. What Jnana? Brahma Jnana. Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. Does it arise from Shravana Manana? Does it arise from Vedanta Vichara? Inquiry into the self. What is inquiry into the self? The teachings and reasoning it out. Does it arise from that? The, uh, the realization or en enlightenment? Or does it arise from meditation? And there are two schools of thought here. One school of thought to which we subscribe as uh, uh, monks of Advaita Vedanta. It is called Shabda Parokshavada. Direct enlightenment through text. Shabda Parokshavada, direct enlightenment through text. The other one, um, which might be called Shabda Parokshavada, that the texts cannot give you direct enlightenment. After going through Shavana and Manana, one must meditate upon it, and that meditation will give you enlightenment. In the first school, your inquiry gives you enlightenment, and then meditation is necessary. Otherwise, you will not be able to live that. It, we will not get the benefit of that. You have to stay with what you have realized. The other, the second school says, the first two, um, Shravana and Manana, studying and reasoning, will give you only an indirect understanding. And that direct enlightenment will come from meditation. This is the second school. And there are uh, actual ancient philosophers who have taken these different positions. Our position is the first one. But what I'm emphasizing here is 
practically, as we are all spiritual seekers, practically it does not make much of a difference. One has to go through all three, practically, for whichever position you take, one has to go through all three. Unless you are that rare kind of person, like Sri Ramakrishna, hear the truth and you become immersed in the realization of Brahman. For us, we have to make an effort at every level. Um, you, in neither school can you dispense with Vedantic meditation. In neither school can you dispense with inquiry. Very briefly, what's the argument on both sides? The argument on the side of those who say that meditation is the leads to enlightenment is that, look, how can texts give you knowledge? Aren't you like going on saying Brahman is beyond words? Texts like the Upanishads are words. How can words give you knowledge? Words can only give you proximate knowledge, you know, remote or indirect knowledge, not the thing itself. So, you know, like they give the example of heaven, the Vedic texts which say if you perform these rituals, you will go to heaven. Now, after reading all of that, you don't get an experience of heaven. You only know that I have to do this and then after that I'll go to heaven. So you have only got some information, like reading a tourist brochure or seeing a website about a tourist attraction. You read about Times Square, you read about Central Park. That does not mean that you have seen Times Square or Central Park. Even if you have seen pictures and videos of it, you have to actually go there and see it. So similarly, secondary knowledge is, or indirect knowledge comes by uh, texts and the direct knowledge will come by uh, meditation, Nididhyasana, that's one position. And there were teachers like Vajaspati Mishra and others who held on to that. Um, and they said all three have to be completed for enlightenment. And uh, the other one is that, no, you are right. Texts generally give you secondary knowledge, indirect knowledge, but some texts give you direct knowledge. Thou art the 10th, in the 10th man story, so when he counted and he could, he missed counting himself, the wise man said, you are the 10th, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and turn it, you are the 10th, you are missing, you are missing it. What he was always present, uh, is just has to be pointed out. And then he comes to see, oh, I am the 10th, that thou art the 10th, that sentence, did it give, uh, did it give indirect knowledge or direct knowledge? It gave direct knowledge. How did it work? How can words give you direct knowledge? It can give you direct knowledge if the thing you're talking about, the reality, is already present. It's not remote. If it's something that you have to go somewhere, see something, hear something, taste something, then indirect knowledge only by texts. By reading the menu, you don't taste, taste the food. You have to actually order the food and wait and then taste the food. But if it's something about yourself, which is something directly presented, or something here in, in um, a certain person you did not know, Mr. So-and-so, and somebody comes and introduces you. This is Mr. So-and-so, whom you are waiting for. Now, that sentence itself gives you direct knowledge because the thing which you wanted to know is already present there. Brahman, is it already present or not? Yes. Is it already revealed, shining forth, self-luminous or not? Yes. Then what is the problem? Problem is I don't see, I don't uh, recognize it. I don't note it. So the, 
tattvamasi if it is properly understood by a competent teacher competent student who has gone through uh, vedanta sara and all like you all so when you listen to it and carefully dwell on it it should flash maybe not once maybe it takes time but the words will give you knowledge and now um, the argumentations and the meditation will only help you establish you in that knowledge the meditation will remove the obstacles to the re- to the living of that knowledge to the manifestation of the knowledge uh, nididhyasana is useful but not for giving you the knowledge it just it will uh, even even common sense you know like uh, other kinds of um, knowledge like you learn physics you learn physics not by sitting quietly but by first attending classes reading the textbooks thinking about it and then staying with it for some time till it you make a breakthrough but if you say staying with it will for some time will making a breakthrough sitting uh, eyes closed with your uh, forehead screwed up that is the process then i let me not i will not go to the class i will not read the textbooks i will not listen to the lectures i'll just sit like this with my eyes screwed up and all and will i understand physics no you won't what is it that you will meditate upon if you don't go through the first two stages so the position is if you look at it this way it seems more like a theoretical wrangle than a practical problem uh, practically everybody has to do meditation i am pointing this out because there are many many issues involved here um some people think i'm telling them not to meditate no quite the contrary vedanta insists that you must meditate at two stages one is before vedantic studies you must do your regular meditation whatever meditation you are doing uh, because that is that will give you the fourfold qualification for vedantic study it will give you the concentration the strong mind which will absorb the teachings without that ekagrata it is called focus without that vedanta will not work second level of meditation is once you have completed the teachings shravana and manan has been completed vedantic meditation has to be done so vedanta does emphasize teaching but you must uh, does emphasize meditation but you must uh, understand in what sense so this this is um, a point i wanted to make a um, very interesting point swami bhuteshananda ji was asked that uh, that um, uh, is clear direct question it's been published now swami bhuteshananda ji was the 12th president of our order he was asked is samadhi necessary for enlightenment ব্রহ্মজ্ঞানের জন্য সমাধি দরকার কিনা ইজ আনসার ওয়াজ ডাইরেক্ট ওয়ান ওয়ার্ড নো নো দেন দ্য কোশ্চেন ওয়াজ দ্য ফলো আপ ওয়াজ ওয়াই ডু উই আস্ক দিস বিকজ উই হ্যাভ রেড দ্যাট শ্রী রামকৃষ্ণ ওয়েন হি ওয়াজ টট বেদান্ত বাই বাই তোতাপুরি আফটার দ্যাট হি অ্যাটেন নির্বিকল্প সমাধি এন্ড সো উই অলওয়েজ ডিজ টু গো ইন আওয়ার মাইন্ডস টুগেদার অদ্বৈত বেদান্ত নির্বিকল্প সমাধি this was asked to bhuteshanji and then what was his reply he said bujhte hobe shekhane jogu ache that was not just vedanta advaita vedanta you have to understand there is there elements of yoga were also present there when he said after vedantic teaching you use meditation to attain samadhi nirvikalpa samadhi good that's yoga teaching and that's used by vedantins it's very powerful method for nididhyasana vedantic meditation so these two questions are sort of lost in all the discussions but these are very important when you have questions about the role of samadhi and enlightenment is it necessary 
yes but you must understand in what sense it is necessary practically very much so but um, not what you might think that after that kind of thing then only i will become enlightened no all right that's the rant <laughs> um there have been papers written on it i mean there's a lot of background in my mind why i'm saying these things uh, papers written on it michael comments for example uh, he says the role of samadhi in advaita vedanta blaming us the ramakrishna mission for overemphasizing samadhi he says where in all of shankara's writing where does shankara talk about samadhi almost never so what are you guys talking about when you talk about samadhi now why i'm saying this is it's a very complicated issue you will find in this book now from now on he will go on and on and on about samadhi and he's not wrong at one point in the last 1000 years or so um, vedantic shravana manana nididhyasana and samadhi yogic practices of samadhi were integrated into vedantic nididhyasana so practically it meant non dualist monks spent a lot of their time which was not in shravana and manana in actual yogic practices which looked indistinguishable from patanjali yogic samadhi at least from the outside so what were they doing they were uh, incorporating the ashtanga yoga of patanjali to help them in vedantic nididhyasana and that's what was going on so you can see a lot of uh, subtle points have to be clarified let me all right i'll start samadhi next time i've given you the background i just go through it what is samadhi the varieties of samadhi you might ask why are they discussing it here because of this traditionally it had several hundred years ago it became nicely integrated into advaita vedanta patanjali yoga practices as a part of vedantic nididhyasana then the difference between samadhi and sleep uh, the actual practices of sitting and breathing and concentration and what are the obstacles to samadhi and the removal all this will come up let me quickly look at the points raised here shravani among the concepts of chidabhasa chit brahmakara vritti which one is what we call the self all right so these are the things that i can i can farm out to you all uh, you know outsourcing you should immediately you should have no doubt at all chit consciousness is the only one here which is the self chidabhasa is the reflection of the channelization or the limitation of that consciousness in the mind brahmakara vritti is that particular vritti of the mind which destroys ignorance and reveals to you the brahmakara vritti does not reveal to you that you are atman atman reveals itself technically very precisely brahmakara vritti destroys ignorance what is the self chit consciousness and only that okay rekha ji asks so realization of your true nature yourself is manifested when you say stay with it it is manifested all the time when enlightenment comes we don't think so right now if i feel no it's not manifested what is manifested is the world is the body is the mind where is um, the self where is brahman and you are not seeing it so it is manifested now the enlightened person will say it's manifested i am in ignorance to me it is not manifested the problem is in my mind the problem is not in the self manifestation of brahman so it is first of all always manifested second um, to the enlightened person it is really manifested because it is manifested equally to everybody but only the enlightened person can say i see it see it means 
I get it, how it is manifested. Third, third level of manifestation is uh, what you are talking about, Vedantic Nididhyasana, where after enlightenment, you choose to stay with it. It's a simple thing, like uh, you are Rekha. The fact of your being Rekha, is it manifested or not? Is it manifested or not? What will you say? He will say yes and no. Yes, it's I am always Rekha. But yes. no, I don't always think that I am Rekha. I'm not always thinking that I am so and so. I'm I'm Rekha. That, that's silly. But if I want, I can sit and think, yes, I am Rekha. So Rekha ji can think that I can think I am Sarva Priyananda. The Sarva Priyananda nature is always there, always manifested, but I can choose to stay with it mentally or not stay with it. I can dwell on it mentally or not dwell on it. Dwelling on it mentally, if you call that so manifestation, fine. Then Prabir Babu um, asks, Swamiji in practical Vedanta says to think of it day and night, think of it day and night till it becomes part and parcel of your life. He says, assimilation, till it tingles with every drop of your blood. That is Nididhyasana. That is Nididhyasana. It is not brainwashing. It is not a positive affirmation. It is Nididhyasana. You have already know, known it. It's very clear to you. It is understood already. But you stay with it. That is uh, Nididhyasana. Swami Vivekananda called it assimilation. Then Sandhya and Rajiv, they ask, is Jivan Mukti City also called Brahmi Siti? Yes. Brahmi Siti is becoming enlightened. I'm, I'm thinking about last verse of second chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Esha Brahmi Siti Partha. So it is compatible with Jivan Mukti and Videha Mukti. Brahmi Stiti is just the enlightened person has realized that I am Brahman. As long as the body continues, you will call that one Jivan Mukta. When the body has gone, you will call that one Videha Mukta. From that enlightened person's perspective, I am Brahman. Body staying or going is, is not very important. Then Cordelia asks, in order to practice Vedantic meditation hour after hour and day after day, don't you have to give up the usual way of life and commit to this as the primary goal? Please tell us how, how householders can practice this. Yes, the kind of meditation which is going to be taught here in Vedanta Sara, it's very suited to monks. We have basically given up uh, other responsibilities. You have plenty of time and freedom and you're being left alone. So that's there. But that's the beauty of Vedantic meditation. You see, the difference between this and this yogic type of meditation and the Vedantic Nididhyasana is, there is other kinds of Nididhyasana possible. Patanjali yoga is not possible unless you sit. Unless you sit, unless you stop other activities, unless you shut your senses, unless you withdraw from external world and focus on one thing and one thing only. It's not possible when you are cooking and you are eating and you are driving and working. No, Patanjali yoga is not possible in that case. It's possible only when you cut off the world. You meditate and only meditate. That is Patanjali Yoga. And that's generally our idea of meditation. In Brahma Sutras, there is a sutra, Asino Sambhava, that is possible when seated. <laughs> you have to sit for meditation. That is Patanjali Yoga. But the uniqueness of Vedantic meditation is it's possible under action also. Bhagavad Gita, fourth chapter says, Brahmarpanam Brahmahavi, Brahmagno Brahmanautam. In all activities, if you see Brahman, you will attain Brahman. That means you will realize that you are Brahman. In all activities, 
while doing activities, after concluding the activities, if you reflect upon what's going on, you see your Brahman. It's like, I am Sarva Priyananda. Do I have to sit quietly to be Sarva Priyananda? Can't I be Sarva Priyananda when I'm speaking? Can't I be Sarva Priyananda when I'm walking, talking, when I'm happy, when I'm unhappy, when I'm hungry, when I'm sick, when I'm healthy? Under all of these conditions, can I not be Sarva Priyananda? I can be. And recognizing that is Vedantic meditation. I'm not Sarva Priyananda, I am Brahman. So Vedantic Nididhyasana is possible, both seated in yogic posture, as we will talk about here next class and also at other times did you not you remember drigdrishya viveka kama adya chitta gaya drishya tat sakshitvena chetanam what does what does it mean desire uh, anger peace all of these are vrittis of the mind you know use these vrittis like mirrors to fo- turn inward that you are the witness Whatever vritti comes in the mind, whatever movement of the mind, each of it, you note that it's being illumined by you, the consciousness. You are the sakshi of it. Notice the difference between this and Patanjali meditation. Patanjali meditation is chitta vritti nirodhaha. You say, kamadhyaya, anger, desire, happy, miserable. Patanjali would be scandalized. You stop it. Stop this nonsense. Stop. Be quiet. Then only meditation is possible. Whereas Vedanta says, let them come. All you need to do is that they are coming and disappearing in what light? You are that light. So this is the difference. Um, Shravani, Nididhyasana is translated as meditation, is meditation as in Raja Yoga or as living the truth at every moment? Both. This is what I was trying to say. Both. In Patanjali Yoga, sit we will talk about it. Asana, pranayama, dharana, dhyana, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, samadhi. The, all the steps of formal meditation. You can do Vedantic Nididhyasana like that. Totapur used to sit in meditation. You can do it like that. Also, you can carry on at other times. Um, then Shiva Priya says, this class has become so, so much interesting. Ah, now it is interesting. No, not, not interesting earlier? <laughs> no, I know what you mean. But yes, people perk up. The moment it is, you sit like this. Ah, that's what I was waiting for. What about all the pure consciousness and the different level, layers of the human personality and Maya and poor Maya, Brahman, Ishwara, Saguna Brahman, Atma, uh, all of them will feel so glum. So we are not interesting, only meditation. Meditation is glamorous. But I know, you, I know what you mean. <laughs> I'm just joking. Srinivasa says, isn't Vedantic Samadhi different from Yogic Samadhi? Vedantic Samadhi can be there while dealing with the world by realized masters, yes. Ultimately, ultimately, there is Vedantic Samadhi should be Sahaja Samadhi. Sahaja Samadhi means in with eyes closed, with eyes open. Same reality. Sri Ramakrishna says, What is this? If I close my eyes, God is there. And if I open my eyes, God is not there. What kind of God is it? He blames God. With eyes closed and eyes open, I should be able to see the same reality. Then only it is reality. Reality is not conditioned on my opening and on the movement of the eyelids. 
by the way, we are talking about very advanced things here. We are jumping ahead. <laughs> there are beautiful things about the principles of meditation which one must know. Why eyes are to be closed or half closed? Very important things to know. We so let's not be overconfident um, and supercilious about that. And so Vedanta has that danger, occupational hazard of looking down on other things as lower. No. Once <laughs> Sadhu said in Uttarakhand, Mahatma Ji, we know that you are doing great things. Brahma wali I know, oh monks, you, your level of discussion is about the self and consciousness and Brahman. Then he said, some, once in a while, do spare a little uh, time and attention to these little things yeah, about the psychology of meditation. Why it's important to close the eyes. Neuroscience will tell you how much of our cognitive capacity is immediately captured the moment your eyes are open. Why is it so difficult to meditate with your eyes open? Why is it difficult to think deeply, even feel deeply with your eyes open? So, um, there's a lot to understand about the neuroscience of meditation, about the psychology of meditation. Let's not dismiss it. Let's be careful about... Uh, I met this young monk in, the Uttara, in Uttarakhand. I've told you a number of times this story. Shiva Hari Giri, young Nepalese monk, barely 20, 21 years old. I asked him, what do you do? He sits in a cave and meditates. He had the dreadlocks and he's sitting in a cave and meditating above the... Um, this, uh, Suraj Kund, I think, in, in, near Gangutri. So it was spectacular, a huge cliff and this little cave. And from the, across the river, you can see this monk sitting there with his dreadlocks and meditating. He said, I'm trying to achieve Samadhi. I came close once, but I got scared and ran away. He jumped up. Where do you run away from your own mind? He jumped up and ran away from the seat of meditation. But he said, after that, I haven't been able to come close. He's very innocent. Now I tried, of course, you know my predilection for Vedanta. So I said, that's great. But what about Vedanta? Don't you like Vedanta? He said, yeah, I don't mind. I like it. But these Vedantins, they talk a lot. They don't have experience. So I'm trying to get the experience by uh, yogic meditation. So this becomes the problem. Suman says, I learned from your lecture in Toronto that Vedic meditation is open eye meditation. It's a very striking message for me. Vedic means Vedantic. There is closed eye meditation also, plenty of it. But yes, open eye meditation is also possible. Is meditation referred today as closed eye meditation or look at the world as Ishava Simidam Sarvam? It's true what we are talking about here. Shweta asks, isn't dwelling mentally on our Satchit nature the best use of the mental faculties? Yes. But uh, it is uh, the best use, but the thing is, uh, it is not all, it can be very exhausting. It can be very difficult. I have told this again many times. I was in the, in Gangotri and um, uh, studying Ashtavakra and uh, one very old senior monk who was a sevak of Tapovan Maharajji, Sundaranji, who used to live in the little uh, uh, hut near mine. 
near where I was staying. He asked me, what, 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 what was I studying and doing? I showed him the Ashtavakra and obviously, so I was doing Shavarnamana, Nididhyasana, especially Nididhyasana of, of Vedanta. And I would attend one Vedanta class a day. And I would spend my hours in meditation, doing what you were trying, uh, what you were saying. And he said, he gave me the Vishnu Shastranama, which is a very devotional text. He said, read this also. For balance, he said in Hindi, nahi akela pan aapko. So it may sound contradictory. Why should I not just stay with Aham Brahmasmi? The answer is try it, but don't try too hard. I've heard of people losing their mental balance by overdoing it. I know at least a few. Another person I met in Gangotri, an elderly gentleman. He was studying Dashtavakra also. I was also serious. And suddenly we came together. So he was very delighted. He was so ecstatic about it. He was telling me, but Swami, this is the truth. My guru, and I know who he talked about, his guru. Uh, my guru never told me about this. And he's, his guru was a very achari. That means very perfect in his uh, daily routine and life. So he just told, told me about taking the name of Krishna, about worshipping the Tulsi plant and all of these things. This is the real the real deal, you know, the Ashtavakra. I said, look, did your guru know, does your guru know about the Ashtavakra? And uh, the gentleman said, yes, he does. Because I knew his guru, I, met his, I had met his guru, his wonderful sadhu, really good sadhu. So does your guru know about the Ashtavakra? I said, yes, he does. And after studying the Ashtavakra also, he worships the Tulsi plant and takes the name of Krishna. I said, yeah, that is true. So, so you should think about it. Um, Ulka says, would thinking of our Ishta and chanting the mantra during activities or in between activities during the day be categorized as Vedantic meditation? Uh, not Nididhyasana as such, but it's a highly recommended practice. Make a habit of repeating the mantra. At times when you are motivated to do Vedantic inquiry and Vedantic meditation, do that. Study Vedanta and sit quietly in meditation. There are some powerful teachers of Vedanta. I was reading one Swami Sashwatanji is talking about attending classes of Swami Turiyananda, Hari Maharaj. He says his classes were so inspiring in Vedanta. He talked about, you know, in one class uh, after Swami Turiyananda talked about it, he said, and he said, said, this has to be experienced, felt for yourself. And he ended the class and one Swami who was in the class got up from the class and rushed to his room and sat down in meditation for hours and hours and hours. He would, they would be inspired like that. So powerful was the teaching. So when you are in that mood, definitely. Shavana, Manana, Nididhyasana. At other times, whether you feel like it or not, there are times when you don't feel like it, then don't force yourself into Vedanta Nididhyasana. Stay with the mantra. Again, up to your own uh, tastes and preferences. Alpana said, yesterday after asking to hold on to the thought of one consciousness, you pause for five seconds. That silence and expression said a lot. Mm. It's good to notice these things. All right. Um, Dimitri. Uh, good evening, uh, Swamiji. I have two uh, two questions. One, when uh, you refer that initial breakthrough, is that the actual uh, event when uh, you know Brahman reveals itself and it's uh, irreversible? At that point, a particular mind already knows that uh, what is truth and uh, no effort is needed to continue. Yes, yes. yes. And then if 
that is so. You later you also mentioned then then to achieve the full Jivan Muktan state, one has to stay with it and choose to kind of work further to manifest it in life. Uh, why is it a choice? Is it actually a choice, or actually choicelessly one would go to that direction? Why would um, why one would not go to that direction? Yes. So even if you don't do anything after that initial breakthrough, that manifestation will happen, but it will take a longer time. It will naturally, Swami Vivekananda said, truth is a corrosive substance of infinite power. Once it has come into your mind, it will work. Your personality will be transformed. However, if you want to enjoy the unique bliss of Jivan Mukti as soon as possible, what is promised in Advaita Vedanta, help the process, stay with it. Again, I'm only giving you sort of the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of del deliberation on this. The best book I know about all these discussions is Jivan Mukti Viveka of um, um, Vidyaranya Swami, where he talks about it's an inquiry into Jivan Mukti. So there's the initial breakthrough. Then what is the importance of giving up desires? What is the importance of um, meditation of Samadhi on, on that breakthrough? And why one should intensely, he says, after that breakthrough, one should intensely practice. Uh, hold on to that. And the, so, that breakthrough is not just an occasional. Let's say I had an experience when it seemed to be right, but then I lost it. Yes. That's not a so we do have experiences which come and go. And those are also genuine. But that is not the Advaitic breakthrough I'm talking about. The, the very nature of that Advaitic breakthrough is, um, is that it is irreversible. There is no chance, even if you don't do anything, if you don't do anything also, it won't go away. It's like I am Sarva Priyananda, whether I practice being Sarva Priyananda or not practice being Sarva Priyananda, never think about it a whole day long, I am Sarva Priyananda. And it's always available to me. The moment anybody asks me, what's your name? I'm effortlessly. I don't have to say that, oh, I haven't practiced for a long time. Wait for a minute. And I must settle down into my Sarva Priyananda nature. And then I'll tell you that I'm Sarva Priyananda. No, it is effortlessly available to you. So that breakthrough will be effortlessly available to you. But if one has, so there is a lot of discussion about what should precede this kind of thing. A lot of spiritual practice usually precedes this. So a person is like almost virtually a saint, at least a very good person. That is called Krita Upasti. One has performed Karma Yoga and um, Upasana, meditation, meditative practices and unselfish action, purification of the mind. One has already done that. Then there would be effortless manifestation of Jivan Mukti. No further uh, major practices are required. So like Sri Ramakrishna is the most excellent example. Um, attains realization, it already demonstrates the qualities of a Jivan Mukta to the fullest uh, extent without any further you know, uh, practices required. But uh, Vidyarnya points out, there might be many seekers who have not completed the course, let us say. So they need to complete the course. Your disease is cured, but it's recommended that you finish the course of antibiotics. Um, and he says that, that uh, what is the result of all of this? And he says the result of the breakthrough is at the first of all, you know that you are Brahman. That's a very great, great thing. And at the point of death, you are set free forever. There are no more cycle of birth and death for you. So that's the direct result of the breakthrough. Nothing can reverse it. It's done. The game of life is over for you. But in the meanwhile, from the point of breakthrough till the death of the body, 
if you do if you want to enjoy the bliss of being liberated and which is the whole point of it then you must work for it you must make sure that the mind and the body don't resist that knowledge why would the mind and body resist that knowledge because of ingrained past behavior the um, the patterns of behavior a nice example is tota puri losing his temper uh, that just you know the story of how he became annoyed at the watchman who came to take the um, flame from his sacred flame he wanted to take fire for his uh, you know tobacco his hubble uh, uh, bubble why did he lose his temper does that mean he's not enlightened he is enlightened and pretty far along uh, in his uh, practices that's why he was able to give up temper also the moment sri ramakrishna pointed it out he gave it up giving up being angry that's not so easy at all <laughs> it's easy for them you point out this is not quite right for an enlightened person in your you know in your state they can get rid of it if they want thank you all right om shanti 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 hari om tat sat श्री राम कृष्णार्पणमस्तु